<laughs> did you forget where we were? Yes. Okay, I'm okay now. I'm good. Um, <laughs> is that the yeah, cold so open? Hi. <laughs> is that the cold open? Did you forget what we were doing? <laughs> I always forget what we're doing. Um, Yeah, so welcome to your mom's a hoax. It is another bright and early Thursday morning, and we are back with part two of uh, your uh, part two of your mom's a hoax. Yeah. Where am I? <laughs> Take <laughs> two. <laughs> We're. Don't you start the whole thing no. over? <laughs> Roll with it. Okay, just you just cut it wherever you want, or don't. I don't care. <laughs> I just work here. Like, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Um. um but yeah, we're here for part two from last yes. week. Talking about um, Princess Diana and... The Amherst mystery. The Amherst mystery. Yep. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think we're going to... You're going to go first. No coin flipping this yep. week because Brenna went first last week. So first this we're gonna week. We're going to keep so it consistent. Throw it. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing it to you, my guy. All right. Yeah. So we're jumping into part two. Um, of our lovely Amherst mystery, um, and we're gonna we're gonna see if we can get down to the bottom of it. Um, spoiler: we don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about ya. But yeah, we're gonna jump right back into our poltergeist and get back into it. So here we go. Valid. So now we're gonna get into a whole lot of detail about uh pretty much like all of the events that like happened that kind of created this great Amherst mystery. Okay. So on the eve of September 4th, 1878, Esther um, and her sister Jane, they shared a bedroom and a bed, um, were getting ready to settle down for the night. Um, and Jane thought she felt like a mouse crawling inside her mattress. Um, so naturally they were scared probably a little grossed out um mm -hmm. they went to find the mouse but they couldn't find it so later that night they heard like a rustling beneath their bed um and they figured out that it was coming from this like cardboard box under the bed um so mm -hmm. they dragged out the box into the middle of the room and <laughs> the box valid yeah the box jumped a foot in the air and landed on its side by itself. Here's the thing. I'm pulling the box in the middle of the room and I'm hitting it with a baseball bat. <laughs> I'm not giving it the opportunity to do anything. I couldn't. One time when I was little, there was this field mouse that ran into my house. This is, I guess, trigger warning if you don't like to hear about stuff like this. But um, Am you I can see be where it's going. Yeah, maybe a little bit. So this little mouse runs inside, and my mom's standing on a chair in the hallway. Me and my brother are standing on two sides of the entertainment center because he's back behind it with, like, baseball bats screaming. And we're little, and my mom is on a chair in the hallway. <laughs> and my dad walks in, like, just at the right time. He just got home from work, and he walks in. And I was like, there's a mouse! <laughs> like, I'm tripping. And my dad just, like, walked over and stepped on it. 
Okay, pause. And I we put it in a shoebox, and we gave him a little funeral outside, and we buried him. Oh, my God. So you murdered him and then buried him. Yeah. Um, but my dad says you're supposed to kill vermin because vermin carry diseases that can kill you. So no, that's valid. Also, I think I found whatever was in my toe. Oh, nice. I'm going to get that out real quick. Love that for you. Oh, I did it. I got it out. Yay. I'm so excited. Now my toes don't hurt. I love that for you. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, I get it, but also my soft heart could never. I mean, you're laying in bed. You think you feel a mouse in your mattress, which I guess is a common enough thing for people to know what that feels like. Because I'm not 100% certain that that's what I would think. But anyways, and then you hear like a scuttling in a box. Uh, crush that box. I don't know what's in it, but I don't like it. I think I would just take the box outside. That seems easier. No. I mean, the box <laughs> seems like it's already Because clean. think about it. You're pulling it all the way outside. It Clearly, it was pissed off by the time it got pulled out into the middle of the room and it levitated. So what's it going <laughs> to do when you're carrying it outside? Okay. It's going to levitate with you. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about pre-levitation. If I still think it's a mouse. If that thing's levitating, I no longer think it's a mouse. But I'm saying you would have picked it up before it levitated and then it takes off with your ass. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But anyways. Okay. <laughs> they start calling for Dan. He comes to the rescue. Um, you know, and so they tell they tell Dan this story, good old Daniel, and they <laughs> he just laughs at them and is like, ah, yeah, we're dreaming. So what, did it, like, levitate and go back down on the ground? Yeah, right? Okay, great. So then he pushed the box back under the bed and went back to bed. And Dan said, get wrecked. Uh, <laughs> Dan was like, I do not have the time for this. He said, you woke me up for this. <laughs> right. So the following night, Esther had gone to bed early because she had a fever. She wasn't feeling good. And basically, in the middle of the night... She got up and, like, screamed, like, wake up, Jane, I'm dying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. So Jane woke up. She got her lamp ready. Um, and she, when she turned on the lamp, um, Esther was, like, blood red. Her eyes were bulging. Um, she did not look good. Jane was, like, called for help. Um... And, like, all the adults came, so it was, like, Dan, Olive, um, John, everybody. Um, yeah. So, they didn't know what to do, so they helped um, her get back into bed. And, basically, like, as she was doing that, like, all the color drained from her face. Um, and Esther said, I'm swelling up and I shall certainly burst. I know I shall. So it sounds like she was choking or something, like her whole body being red and her eyes being like bulging. Yeah, so like her hands and her feet were like super swollen. Um, she mm -hmm. was now like super pale, um, and her skin was like burning hot. Right. So it had been like her body was basically like steadily swelling up. Um, right. Then all of a sudden, there was this big ass clap of thunder. And uh, after that, three loud cracks beneath the bed, and then Esther, like, went limp and went completely back to normal. Uh, right? I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, they 
figured out, you know, like, Esther wasn't dead. Uh, she was, like, knocked the fuck out asleep. Valid. Um, yeah. And so they didn't know what else to do, so they all just went back to bed. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense to me. <laughs> right. So the next morning, she seemed okay. She didn't really have a big appetite, but she seemed all right. Um, and nobody really knew what happened, so they just, like, kept it to themselves. Like, everybody just was like, we're just gonna mind our own Are business. you for real? We're all- No, girl, I'm coming down the stairs with my cup of coffee, and I'm like, what in the fuck happened last night? Somebody start <laughs> talking. What the fuck happened last night? Right. So, four nights later, a similar thing happened. Right. But this time, all of the bed sheets like, flew off great right and so jane saw it happen immediately fainted honestly saying valid yep i get it a natural response so esther's screaming everybody comes back in the room um you know olive saw the sheets in the corner she tried to like put them back on esther um and immediately they flew right back off (laughs) And now everybody's scared. They're all right. screaming. And before anybody can react. freaking out. Yep. The pillow uh, under Esther just like hurtled through the air and, and hit John in the face. Rip. <laughs> Get fucked, John. <laughs> so. So. <laughs> so all of the family members just like sat on the edge of the bed with the exception of John because John dipped the fuck out. Yeah, I'd have been gone. I'd be like, you know what? <laughs> tag this yourself. Isn't for me. I'm John. <laughs> yeah, tag yourself. So, I'm John. So he, he just fled immediately. Um, Valid. But I, everybody else is like trying to like sit on these sheets so they stay on the bed, right? What's the concern with the sheets staying on the bed? I am out. I don't. I don't know. Goodbye. I don't know. But after a whole bunch of loud knocks um, from beneath the bed. Esther stopped swelling up, and she immediately knocked out again. So it's, it's time to move. Right. So it's at this point that the next day the family is finally like, ooh, we should call the doctor. Oh, you think you should call someone? I don't know who, but someone. So Dan lets the doctor know, and the doctor is like, ha, none of that nonsense is going to happen while I'm here. Right. So he intended Idiot. on staying um, until like one in the morning. He got there at ten um, in the evening. It's not very long, buddy. You should have stayed for a lot longer than that. But whatever. Right. So, um, you know, he checked her out, um, and was pretty much like, "Well, I don't know what's going on, but like she's in some kind of shock." Right. So like she's in shock. This doctor sounds fucking useless, but okay. As he was talking, her pillow moved uh, laterally until one corner was tucked beneath the girl's head. So the doctor is watching, right? And this pillow, like, shifts back to where it was, right? And so the doctor's like, did y'all see that? And John was (laughs) like, yes. Uh, so John, all what of I've a sudden, been trying to tell you for the last three hours. Yeah. So John, all of a sudden, has uh, a, a lot more courage than he did earlier. Um, was like, if it moves back out, like I'm gonna hold on to it. So, quote, he said, 
But if it moves out again, it will not go back, for I intend to hold on to it, even if it did bang me over the head last night. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> so, he says this. He's come back for his revenge against the pillow. <laughs> Immediately, the pillow does it again? Like, as a challenge? <laughs> the pillow was like, okay, right. okay, John. And so he grabs onto this pillow, and he's trying to, like, play togo war with this pillow, <laughs> and it just, like slips back under his head as if he's like not even holding on to it great <laughs> right so this pillow is like you <laughs> keep your mouth shut yeah he said shut the shut up shut up right so of course then again we had the loud knocks from beneath the bed and has anybody looked under the bed so the doctor tried to find where the sounds were coming from and he could not figure it out why is he um, the first person to be like something's under the bed I, I mean, I think they probably looked before, but, like, just couldn't find anything, right? I guess. So, he, like, walks around the room, and, like, the knocking, like, follows him around the room. Awesome! I love it when I'm walking around a room and, like, creepy sounds follow me. It's incredible. Right. So, after about a minute of this, again- Oh, that's a minute too long. Bed sheets in the corner of the room, flying off the bed. <laughs> again with the bed sheets. And immediately there was a scratching sound from the wall behind the bed. Get out. Get out. Right. Get out. Get out. And so they went to, like, figure out what was going on with that. And carved into the wall was the phrase, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. What? Why? <laughs> so, not good. Not good. So, for three weeks, uh, the just paranormal activity all over the place great so uh, she got <laughs> so this this uh poltergeist was throwing objects like potatoes and wooden planks at esther um often Those with like two things that i just have lying <laughs> around my house right <laughs> tell me it's the 1800s without telling me it's the 1800s am i right yeah, no shit <laughs> right and so this is happening like in front of her family members um there's like violent banging noises everywhere um the doctor gave her morphine to like see if she could like chill um and he even like went outside to see like if you could hear the banging sessions outside um and apparently from the street it sounded as if someone was standing on the roof and like pounding the shingles with a sledgehammer that's not good right so Late September, knocking is happening, shit's going down, Esther has mm -hmm, a seizure mm -hmm. in her bed and becomes cold and rigid. So she goes uh. into, like, a trance-like state, um, mm -hmm. and she told the people that were in the room with her um, about what had happened with Bob McNeil. Um, okay. And so after she, like, kind of, I guess, like, came out of it, they told her what she had said, and she, like, immediately started crying and was like, yeah, like that's that's true. So she has no but recollection. She didn't remember? Yeah, she sorry. has no recollection of like telling them that. That's wild, right? So after this, Jane kind of figures out that like the knocking seems to like respond to what they're saying. I don't like that because that means it can hear us, <laughs> right? And so Dan is like, well, let me test this out. So he asks whatever's in the house to, like, knock mm -hmm. for 
like every person in the room and so okay. of course it responds with like the correct number of knocks for like the people that were in the room okay right and so uh, they kind of figured out how to communicate with the entity mm-hmm. um so basically they figured out you know knock once for like no three for yes and two knocks if you don't know pretty much okay and throughout the like throughout october a whole bunch of clergymen of like different denominations who had heard about this were like stopping by to like see what's going on um so there was a baptist guy that convinced uh that was like convinced that esther um, and her families weren't responsible um but instead he thought that like maybe the shock from like what had happened with Bob McNeil kind of, like, turned her into, like, quote-unquote, an electric battery. And that Esther, like, emitted, like, invisible flashes of lightning, which is, like, causing the small thunderclaps. There was not a lot of science behind it. No. He was pretty much like, you're in so much shock uh, that now you're electric. Okay. Well, that... Sir sit down (laughs) just sit down stop it i keep going that's not it frozen or just surprised i'm just surprised can you not hear me talking hello okay i'm are you frozen like that definitely frozen because i am talking to you um leave all of this in (laughs) knock three times free yes Oh, ah. I'm pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, you definitely froze. Oh, I was talking the whole time, but... And I don't remember what we were talking about now. (laughs) Um, a Baptist minister thinks that she's, like, an electric battery. Oh, yeah, that's not it. Uh, Yeah, sir. Sit down. Like, like, no. My guy. Again, not a lot of science behind it. No. Um, like with most Baptists, there's just not a lot damn. of science behind it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was raised Baptist. I know not all Baptists. Good grief. Good, good, good grief. Um, and then we got a Wesleyan Methodist preacher. Um, That's you, yeah? Yeah. Well, United Methodist, but yes. Um, where we came from. Okay. Uh, so he was, he, he, he whispered, he saw a whole bunch of, um, things happened and the most startling was, um, basically he saw like a cold bucket of water on the table, um, and it pretty much like began to bubble like it was boiling. Um, so that freaked him out. Yeah, I'm out. Goodbye. So by the end of like October, um, people were like coming from all over to their house to like see any of this and uh, so nobody's helping though not really they're great yeah so you know some people thought it was like a complete sham some people thought that somehow esther was like hypnotizing people to make them think she was he was they were like seeing things she's a um, witch she's she's a witch but most people you know, believes that it was true. So, 
in December, you know, things were still happening. Um, Esther got diphtheria. Um, and during the two weeks that it took for her to recover, the manifestations, like, stopped completely. What the fuck um, is that? Diphtheria? Yeah. Dude, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, okay. But after that, um, Esther went to New Brunswick um, to visit another one of her sisters who was also married. Um, so she went to stay with some some other people. Um, mm-hmm. And while she was away, there was no activity at either the house she was staying in or the teed house. Okay. Um, oh, she's moving out of my house. Mm-hmm. That seems to fix it. Like, move her out of the house. Yeah, so um, she came back, um, and immediately everything started up again. Um, her and Jane tried sleeping in different rooms, and that just made things worse. Um, at this at this point, um, the poltergeist starts dropping, like, lit matches from the ceilings. Um, no! <laughs> no, no, no! That's not good! <laughs> yeah. And, like, actively trying to set the house on fire. Um, yeah, like, it's so bad. <laughs> one of Esther's dresses, like, rolled itself up and, like, went underneath the door and, like, burst into flames. Um, on another occasion, there was a fire that was started in the cellar um, that they, like, couldn't put out themselves. So they ended up running out into the street and, like, a stranger came and, like, put it out and then left. Um and so, I don't like that. yeah, this ghost like is like actively, actively like trying to set their house on fire, right? And so at this point, <laughs> the like ghost or whatever starts talking to Esther, but only she could hear it, right? Right. And so, you know, she starts seeing him, and like, sure, yeah, she starts seeing this like figure, and she's pointing it out. None of the other family members can see the ghost um and so it started talking to her and basically said you know i'm gonna burn your house down unless you leave right well then just leave dan was like i don't want my house to be set on fire so um you have to leave fuck out yeah right and so she moves into her neighbor's house um and a couple weeks went by without any incident you know it seems like things were were good to go uh, but then one day while she was scrubbing the floor at her neighbor's house, um, the brush that she was using, like, completely disappeared. Nobody could, nobody could find it. And then all of I a mean, sudden- like it's in her hands and it disappeared? Yeah. And then all of a sudden it drops from the ceiling and, like, almost hits her in the head. Lovely. Right. What so a fun little party trick. But aside from that, there was not any, like, quote unquote, major mischief. Okay. <laughs> then all of a sudden, um, at the new house that she was staying in, uh, random fires started appearing. Um, and the they, they were like, so you, you gotta leave. Um, yeah, you don't gotta so, go home, but you can't stay here. So they actually asked her to spend um, her days in the pub that he owned. So she worked in the pub that he owned. He was like, you gotta spend your days here because like, I don't want my house to be on fire. Oh, but my um, pub can burn down with all the liquor in it. Yep. Yeah. So apparently, so apparently, like, it followed her there. No shocker. Um, right. 
and uh, the patrons were like loving this. Um, uh. But I, I mean, I guess. But one of the most notable incident that happened in the pub is uh, one of the neighbor boys had a pocket knife and it like flew across the pub and like stabbed her in the back. <gasps> and then oh, they removed shit. they removed the knife. Um, and then it did the same damn thing and went back into the same wound. Ugh. Rude as hell. Literally stabbed her in the back. Or less, I don't know if that hurt more or less than being stabbed, like, in a separate spot a second time. Yeah. So, rude as hell. Yeah, for sure. Rude as hell. Definitely angry. <laughs> so, in the spring of 1879, she went to St. John, New Brunswick, um... And uh, she was invited there by, like, a military officer. During her stay there, she was pretty much visited by, like, a whole bunch of, like, parapsychologists, basically. Like, paranormal investigators. Um, And they figured out how to communicate with the entity. Okay. So, pretty much what they would do, same, like, you know, knock three times for yes, knock once for no kind of system. But then also, similar, like to a Ouija board they would like go through the alphabet and wait for the entity to like knock on the letter it wanted um so it took a real long time no for sure but um they did figure out that not only was it like there were several entities in her okay in her and so they identified themselves as or like i guess not like in her necessarily but like attached to yeah. her okay so they identified themselves as um you know the main the main protagonist or antagonist the main antagonist yeah that's the word I'm yeah. looking for uh was yeah. bob nickel um who was a shoemaker um and very angry another one i yeah i guess another one identified at herself as maggie fisher um there was peter cox um who claimed to be a relative of esther um and then mary fisher jane nickel and ezra or eliza mcneil who seem to be it's like more bo- mild spirits it's like a lot of people though there's a lot going on okay right? <laughs> and so she stayed there for a while you know chilling um mm-hmm. and then she returned to amherst thinking things had like stopped and it immediately started up again Right. Okay, maybe you should move away from Amherst, yeah? Right. And it is at this point that an American actor by the name of Walter Hubble... With the telescope enters... or no? Hmm? With not, the telescope? No, not the telescope. That is, I believe, Edward Hubble. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, So he had just, like, finished a theatrical tour in Newfoundland. Um, and he pretty, like, they... Like, he stepped in the picture, he heard about it, he wanted to, like, see it for himself, he wanted to figure it out, um, he, I guess, had, like, some experience with the paranormal, so he thought he was, like, an expert. Um. Me. Yeah. It's, he's, I don't, we'll get to why I don't like him. Okay. Um. But I don't like him. Mm -hmm. But he pretty much, like, moved in with the Teed family, um wanted to document everything you know wanted to figure it out um and it basically like over the course of like six weeks um he was like pelted with inanimate objects 
you know, mm-hmm. saw things appear and reappear or vanish and like reappear. Um, you know, all the works, right? Yeah. And so really turned it on for him. Yeah. So you want to see a show? We'll give you a show. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So at first he thought that like she was doing everything. Esther was, um, but I don't know, through, like, kind of staying there longer, he realized, like, he didn't think it was her or whatever. Right. Um, and so he also figured out, like, a way to communicate with them, um, with them answering in knocks. And so here are a couple questions he asked. Um, have you all lived on Earth? Yes. Have you seen God? No. Are you in heaven? No. Are you in hell? Yes. Have you seen the devil? Yes. Great. That's comforting. Yep. So, um, you know, at, at some point, there was a whole lot going on. Um, you know, eventually Esther decided, like, she had to leave. Um, Mm -hmm. and so her and Walter Hubble actually went on tour, his idea, um, you know, and they were supposed to, like, I I, I guess basically, like, bring the entity with them? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Oh, yeah, profit profit off your trauma, my guy. If it's not gonna leave you alone, try to make some cash. Yeah, it didn't work, uh, because as it turns out, ghosts do not like to be told when to perform. Um. Oh, they like to do yeah. it in their own time. Makes so sense. they had like one, like, uh, yeah, they performed once, um, immediately got heckled, and that was that. Like, they ended up like throwing rocks at them. It was bad. It was not good. Um, and so after that, Esther <laughs> went to live with somebody else. Um, shortly after her arrival, the family that she was living with, their barn burned down. And Esther was actually accused of arson. Rip. Yeah, so she went to, like, prison. She was sentenced to prison oh, for shit. four months. Um, Fuck. It that ended sucks. up. Yeah, it ended. There were actually, shockingly, there were a lot of people that were still very much in support of her. Okay, um, good. So they were, like, you know, pretty much like, this is bullshit. Um, so she ended up getting out after a month. Um, you know. If only if, if only it was that easy. People are right. like, we support her not being guilty. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, but after she got out of prison, um, allegedly, everything stopped. For you the know? rest of forever? For the rest of forever. She ended up getting married. She died in 1912 at like 52, I think, 56, something like yeah. that. Um, yeah. But she ended up going on. She married twice, had two children, like, lived the rest of her life. Huh. Um, so... Reasons why I don't like Walter Hubble. Um, okay. And why this might actually not be real. Okay. Um, I wouldn't... Okay. So, I guess the question is, like, was it a hoax? I don't think right. it was an intentional one. But there is a theory. So, William Price, like, six years after Esther died, thought that mm-hmm. maybe he had an explanation that was not supernatural at all. Okay. So, he theorized that maybe... Esther was really only haunted by her own trauma. So the idea was that um, 
you know, to cope with what Bob McDeal had done to her, Esther essentially created another personality without knowing it. Mm. So, um, you know, his theory is that it was this other personality, like, leaving the nasty notes, scaring Esther into thinking she was being haunted, um, and, like, it was all, like, kind of subconsciously created. That doesn't explain, um, like, her hands swelling and stuff, but... True. Um, and, like, all the things falling from the ceiling that people saw. So we'll get there. Okay. Um, but, so one of the things that, like, he points to is, like, the names of the spirit, like, Eliza McNeil and Bob Nickel, which sounds a lot like Bob McNeil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know what you're thinking. What about all the people that, ha- that saw things happening? Yeah. But most of those accounts were actually found in Hubble's books, The Great Amherst Mystery, um, and were not really cited all that well. And Hubble eventually mm. went on to sell 10 volumes of his books. And Esther never saw a single penny off of it. <gasps> no. So we also don't have an actual account from Esther herself. So most of what we know came directly from Hubble, who was likely exploiting her for profit. And That's the, fucked up. The biggest reason that I don't like Hubble is that Hubble's theory was that he thought she ended up being possessed because McNeil had an evil spirit in him when he tried to assault her. And it traumatized Esther, which left Esther easier to quote-unquote possess, which I think is fucking gross and takes all of the responsibility off of McNeil. No, for sure, because it just makes it sound like, oh, he did it because... Yeah, like, he was just possessed. Right, not a trashy human being that, like, Mm -hmm. held a girl at gunpoint and almost made her have sex with him. Like, what we're not going to do, what we're not going to do is we're not going to pretend like he is not fully responsible for his actions. Right, Um, he held her at gunpoint. Hubble did literally, like, take completely advantage of her and oh like she sure. never saw he's also a trash human being yeah and well he went out to write you know 10 volumes of books and she meanwhile went to prison for something she probably didn't do oh uh, do you think so. hubble set the barn on fire maybe <gasps> i don't know but it is true or not it's a wild story for sure um i don't know i don't know this i do think it's very interesting that like there is not an account from or at least, like, I didn't find, and the great Ashley Flowers also didn't find, uh, so I feel good about that, um, <laughs> like, her own account of the story. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, I'm gonna call bullshit on it then, personally. It's a good story. I'm yeah. i bullshit on it. So, I don't know. I mean, like, and I like to keep an open mind. I'm not anti-ghost or anything like that. I totally believe in them. I just think I'm going to call bullshit on this one story. Yeah. Uh, or it's just teenage angst. Yeah. Because apparently everything can just be boiled down to to angry girl teenage angst. Right. And how dare she be angry for having a gun pointed at her. Yeah. The audacity. Honestly. Right. God. Yeah. So that was the great Amherst mystery uh it's pretty fucking crazy we got a lot of teen angst in there a lot of lot lot of shit going on honestly like hard to keep track of my guy Ugh, just the women propaganda I literally like it. what do we have against teenage <laughs> what do we have against teenage girls maybe if we just leave them alone they wouldn't be so angsty maybe yeah. don't point guns at them Liter- literally uh okay i don't know funny shit my mom told me 
my mom told me, um, that she is, she was doing this research and she's like, she said, um, I'm pretty sure that she was like, I was doing all of this and I'm pretty sure that I may have been so angsty that we had a poltergeist because my house was definitely haunted and that followed me to my apartment when I moved out. So my mom was doing this research and she was like, did I? Did I have a poltergeist? Your mom 10 out of 10 had a poltergeist. 100%. Did, did my teen angst create a poltergeist? I like the telekinesis thing, though. I still think we're not unlocking our full potential. If my mom accidentally had telekinesis, I think I would die. Is just it an accident, or are we just meant to have telekinesis? But then they Honestly, shut us though. down because we have too much power. We gotta get rid of the teen angst. She's a witch! She's a witch! But yeah, so my mom might have been so angsty that she had her own poltergeist. So. I love having her on the pod. Yes. <laughs> Pretty incredible. Truly, truly. Nice. Maybe one day we'll do an ep about it. Genuinely. Alin Rhodes haunting. <laughs> she's got some she's got some stories. <laughs> well, um I guess we're gonna get back to uh the Royals. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to jump back into this uh, wild ride. And I think I really think that I changed my mind, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Here we go. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Um, This brings us, though, to the pregnancy allegations, because only takes one yes. time. She still could have been pregnant. Uh, yeah. So the former coroner of the Queen's household, Dr. John Burton, he said that um, he personally examined her womb and, womb and found, like, that she was not pregnant. I don't I know what that means. <laughs> it's a little creepy. Yeah, I don't love I it, it, but I understand why it had to be yes, done. Yes, another Dr. Robert Chapman, he also carried out a post-mortem examination and stated that her womb and ovaries showed no sign of pregnancy. I figured. So that's like initially after she's like dead, I think, after she passes. So yeah. this Paget operation opens and it's like a whole new inquiry into all these claims. And they took blood that was like, in the footwell of the seat where she was sitting in the car, they took blood mm -hmm. that was hers and tested it. And there were like no traces of the HCG hormone that's like associated with pregnancy. Yeah. From there, um, they also. And blood is by far the most. Accurate. Right. And from there, they also talked to all of Diana's friends and like it was reported that she was on her normal menstrual cycle and that there was evidence that she was using contracepti contraception. Which, contraception yeah. can fail. You can still get your period while you're pregnant. But, like, blood tests don't lie. And they checked her womb, they said. Like, it seems like they did a lot to make sure. Yeah. Right. Because you don't, you shouldn't just let it slip through the cracks that Princess Diana was pregnant when she passed away. That's not something that yeah. people are going to just. People would absolutely. Like, know. I think people are forgetting, like, this is Princess Diana. This isn't me. Right. It might go unnoticed if I was pregnant when I died in a car wreck. It's not going to go unnoticed when the Princess of Wales is pregnant, dead in a car wreck. Hold on one second. Hi, baby. Oh, you just wanted so to come by me? So, Muhammad is okay. also saying that Princess Diana and Dottie had visited the villa that he owned in Paris to, to quote, okay. choose a room for the baby. Because they're supposed to be moving to this villa. Apparently, this trip to the villa lasted two hours and that it was in the presence of this, like, really fancy Italian interior designer who was going to make the nursery. 
Um, okay. Security guard, though, at the villa was like, I'm not a liar. Mama didn't raise me to be that way. And I'm not going to lie to the world for you, Mr. Muhammad. And he goes to um, The Sun, which I guess is like a newspaper. And he's like, yeah, so that visit was only 30 minutes. And there was definitely not an interior designer. And they were like, okay, well, we need proof. And he's like, CCTV footage stills. And that was that <laughs> like there was no conversation he said that he was with them the entire time that they were there the whole 30 minutes and that there was no conversation about them even coming to live at the villa much less a baby listen i look i understand i mean i don't understand i don't understand what it's like to lose a child i don't you know and grief does a lot of things and i would imagine that i would want everybody looking into this as much as possible right. however um it does not make you particularly credible um if what you're saying can be actively proven as false right it's not a good look i will say that yeah. i want to be respectful of him because you know he lost a child that's very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine. I don't know how I would handle it. Right. Um, but it does not necessarily make him a credible source. He also didn't claim that the princess was pregnant until um, May of 2001. So why you or, would sit on that information for three and a half years mm. is beyond me. Because if I just lost yeah, my child and my grandchild, I'm losing it. I'm up in arms. I'm, the whole city's burning down. You're listening yeah. to me. Like, yeah. So, I don't know. Um, another big thing that plays into this whole conspiracy is, like, the absence of, t like, CCTV footage in mm. the, like, tunnel or whatever. This is okay, also... Okay, that makes more sense. I was about to say, we've had a lot of CCTV footage. <laughs> right. But no, in the in the tunnel, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Um, supposedly, there was, like, 10 to 14 CCTV cameras that pointed towards the underpass, but, like, none of the footage mm -hmm. caught none of the footage like recorded any of the crash okay that is weird so people just thought it was kind of weird that there's like cc there's like not any images of the journey from the hotel yeah. to like the crash that is odd but it's kind of explained away um okay. so judge herve stefan was um the examining magistrate which i guess is like a sheriff i don't know but he was on the case september 12th or september 2nd 1977 like two days later mm -hmm. or 1997 sorry i can't read um and he had all the cops which they're called the brigade criminale which sounds fancy okay he had all these guys very fancy. he was like y'all need to like find all the cctv footage because if we can watch it happen takes a lot of work off our backs okay <laughs> yeah um and this lieutenant eric Gao, he and his team, they go and they, like, find all of the locations. Apparently, they found 10, CC CT 10 CCTV cameras. Um, mm -hmm. But since they were, like, not owned by the city of Paris, they were owned by, like, individual business owners. They were, like, Ugh, mostly... That does make it hard. Yeah, they were mostly for security, and they were facing the entrances of the buildings. No, that makes perfect so sense. So they weren't even, like... Like, they were out there, but they weren't pointed the right direction. Yeah, um, that makes more sense. There was a traffic monitoring camera above the overpass or above the underpass. Mm -hmm. I'm not really quite sure how this works, but 
it was under the control of the Paris Urban Traffic Unit. That unit closes at 11 p.m. and there's no night duty staff and no one's recording anything after 11. Good. Yeah. <laughs> there was yeah, also, continue. I guess, a photograph that was published in this book, um, Diana, Death of a Goddess. And it was captioned as... Accurate yeah, for sure. title. Valid title. <laughs> oh my god. The only title that matters. Um, wow. But the picture was captioned as having been taken, like, right before the car entered the tunnel, when, in fact, that okay. picture was taken as the car left the Ritz. Oh. So, it's just a little... Okay, so that's not accurate. thrown in there for no reason. Fun. Um, I'm gonna write a book called, uh, Birth of a Goddess, just to really solidify the lore that I'm actually Princess Diana. I love that. <laughs> can i create lore around myself am i allowed to do are that? we allowed to make up our own conspiracy like you know how some people think that um jean benet is actually Katy perry or Katy perry yeah. is actually jean uh, benet you are uh, princess diana reincarnated yeah. yes i think yes. we are allowed to do that um we can make a wikipedia yeah, page gonna... for it please <laughs> i don't tempt me the honor we make a oh whole episode of like honor. fake fakeness like <laughs> got lore in a background story yes i'm i'm entering it into your mom's a hoax lore i love that please okay so here's what i think happened um that okay. night in the tunnel yeah lay it on me this story that's happening so after everybody like looks at the wreckage of this mercedes um it's mm -hmm. apparent that a white fiat uno left traces of paint on the side of the car Oh. Basically, like, they're driving along in the tunnel, and the Fiat clips them, which sends oh, them, no. like, spiraling or whatever out of control, yeah. and they crash. Because uh, if you also mix in the fact that Paul was maybe drunk, probably yeah. drunk, not to, like... Seems like he was... Seems like the evidence is there that he drunk. was probably drunk. Oof. You know, so then, like, being clipped like that, like, you don't have the response time to, like, save that. You know what I mean? It Honestly, even sober, like, that's hard. Yeah, right. Like, um, the only thing is, like, man, nobody ever found the Fiat. We found a couple Fiats. We're just not sure if they're the Fiat. Yeah, okay, but, like, I'll just, if I find out that my car is the car that, like, I'm the one that killed Princess Diana. Right, like, that's who I'm was in that limo. I'm get I'm getting rid of it. Oh, well, we'll get there. It's going in the ocean. It's I'm I'm whatever it takes. I'm getting rid of we'll it get, forever. We'll get there. Actually, I'd like to think that I'm a better person than that. Than no, that. I think I'd be um, tripping. I'd be like, oh my car is the car that hit Princess Diana. <laughs> like, I also could never jail. commit a hit and run. No, I would have. Yeah, stopped. I could yeah. never commit a hit. Yeah, I literally would have immediately been like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. No one saw the Fiat, though, enter the tunnel, but a lot of people, like, saw it leave the tunnel. That is weird. Yeah. I do think that's odd. But also, like... But if you're okay, not paying attention like, beforehand, and then you see a crash... Yeah, then you, like, hear the sounds of a crash, and then all of a sudden you're, like, more aware of what's going on. Like, right. You're paying attention. You turn to look, even, and you see the Fiat leaving, and you just heard a crash from over yeah. there. Makes sense. Yeah. So, Muhammad's back. And he alleges okay. in the Operation Paget that the white Fiat Uno was being used by MI6 as a means of, like, making the Mercedes crash off the road. Now, I do think 
that the Fiat hitting the la uh, the limo is what made them crash, but I don't think it was yeah. MI6. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah, that seems. So from here. I, he I would think that MI6 would at least have the wherewithal to, like, pick up black car. So, like, maybe it wasn't so obvious on the paint scratch. Right. Valid. Just an idea. I also like to think that MI6 isn't going to leave a paint scratch. Yeah, for real. I don't know how they're going to figure that out, but they're going to get like anti-chipping technology paint and they're going to they're going to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. They, because it shouldn't be that easy to just come after MI6 for killing the Princess of Wales. It really shouldn't. Yeah. From here though, Mohammed also says like that Fiat Uno also was owned by a French photojournalist named Jean-Paul James Andenson. Okay. John Paul James. Got it. Okay. That's... Ooh. Yeah. I don't know. He says that... Um, I don't know why it said that. Anyway, sorry. My brain just stopped working. Um, So, <laughs> in 2000 and... Oh, sorry. I'm so used to saying 2000 and something. It's just 2000. In 2000, um, <laughs> Andenson died by suicide and Muhammad was like it was over his guilt because he killed my kid and princess Diana or he said it's because the French or British secret services silenced him okay okay but it, so just to make sure I did hear you correctly mm -hmm. he owned like he made up might have owned the fiat that crashed the car that hit the car yeah that crashed the car okay I could actually see it being guilt I could. If you if I knew like that I was involved in a hit and run that killed Princess Diana, I too could understand just, feeling so guilty that maybe I yeah. would do that. Or, or yeah, killing kill anybody in general. in general. But especially Princess yeah. Diana. I mean I'm gonna feel extra bad about that. <laughs> like I mean, plus you gotta think like, okay, like they know that like it's a fiat right. or whatever. Like they know I like I could I could see it being like that I, I could see being guilt. Okay, so Operation Padgett is like we're investigating everything because so crazier things have happened. And so they concluded that it is very, very unlikely that it was Anderson's car because of the condition of the car and the fact that he was very open when he sold it after the fact. He s oh. sold it in October of 1997. It was like, I'm selling my vehicle. Like, I don't know, it was just, like, public Yeah, that'd it. be pretty... Like, I, I'm not gonna sell the evidence pretty openly in front of everybody. Like... <laughs> yeah. It was also said that the car hadn't been driven in several, like, years, and, like, it wasn't maintained or anything, and that it had, like, 300,000 miles on the odometer. So for it to be hauling ass through a tunnel and, like, clip somebody and keep going, I just... I don't... Yeah, probably not. I don't know. Um... French police also, like, had examined his car as part of their effort to, like, trace that one that hit the car, and they were like, nah, yeah. this isn't it either. So the British and the French are like, nah. Like, mm, no dice. It is said, though, that they eliminated over 4,000 white Fiat Unos. That is so many Fiats. <laughs> so many Fiats. Oh, my God. So, um, unfortunately, though, and really, I don't know that I even need to talk about this, but, like, the... Circumstances revolving Anderson's suicide were kind of fishy. He's, his okay. body was found in a black burned-out BMW in a forest in South France. Okay. Yeah. But 
a lot of his friends, like, because during this, because now it's like, oh, well, the CIA, or not the CIA, but MI6 killed him mm-hmm. and silenced him, and that's why he's in a black burned out BMW. Paget looked into that, and they were like, so a lot of his friends said that he had made comments prior to um, his death that he had talked about suicide by, like, pouring petrol on the car and lighting a cigarette. So... If he had done that, like he had mentioned previously, yeah, that would make sense why the car is like burned out. Yeah, that's a bold way. To that go. is a bold way. That's not how I would pick, but wow. Yeah, I mean, but maybe it's more. Inst- I don't know. I don't want to talk about it because it freaks me out. I'm no, no nope. s- fire is not never the way. Mm-mm. No, um, but it is also said in the Paget report that Andenson's body was in the driver's seat of the car and that his head was. St- Sorry, this is graphic. Let me back up a second and say trigger warning for graphic imagery. His head was okay. detached and it laid in the, between the front seats and there was a hole in his left temple. Okay. But French pathologists concluded that this hole was because the like heat was so intense that it like created okay. a hole. But I'm like, but nobody's explaining how his head was detached. So I have questions still. Like, I that wasn't answered for me. I don't know that this man was involved in the death of Princess Diana, but I also think somebody okay. maybe murdered him. So super gross thought. Super gross thought. Mm-hmm. But, like... Because you're... Like, without all of the body things, your bones don't just, like, stay together. Oh, so you're talking about, like, maybe when the muscle and whatnot... Yeah, like, maybe it just... Deteriorated. Like, if that's where a lot of the fire was, Mm -hmm. since maybe he lit the cigarette, that's where it started, that's where it burns the most, like, maybe... Yeah, it was the hottest right there. Okay. I don't know. I am not a scientist. Um, That feels like an explanation I can get behind, though, if this was not murder. Yeah, like, I also feel like... I feel like since, like, the, like, I guess coroner, for lack of a better word, um, person mm-hmm. was, you know, like, I'm not stressing about the head detachment. Right. Um, we're going to talk about the whole, like, maybe that's a more norm, like, maybe that's not something that surprised them. Yeah. Maybe that, yeah. But, like, when the fire department showed up, they were like, oh, head detached makes sense. The whole does not. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay. I'm not. I'm glad that that's not my job. I'm, I'm not. I'm a, gonna be honest. Yeah, I'm not. A glad that this is my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, not my job. Yeah, so. But that's the only idea that my little brain can handle. Right. Paget also found close. that there was, like, no evidence that Andenson was, like, known to any security service or anything like that. But, like, I don't know. Contrary to Muhammad's claims, his death was thoroughly investigated by the French police as well. However... Oh, side note. And this is all you're going to get about it, so don't expect there to be more information. But um, the whereabouts of the car Much keys like the were never found or, like, explained. Okay. So you just don't know where the car keys were to the car that this man was found in. That is interesting. I mean, they should have been in the ignition, no? I, dude, I don't know. So where did they go? I, I don't know. That's all you get on that. That's all that there was. <laughs> that is weird. Yep. Um... Now we're going to get into this other guy who I think, I don't know, I don't know if we can get in trouble. I think maybe, possibly, it is of my opinion that maybe he was involved. 
Okay. I learned that from Jillian Pinsavalli whenever she says, like, our lawyers say you should say it's of my opinion. <laughs> we don't have lawyers, but it's of my opinion. <laughs> that th- when in doubt, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, so this other guy, uh, Le- Lee Van Thun? Thun? I don't know how to say it. Um, he was a 22-year-old taxi driver at the time of the crash who also owned a white Fiat Uno. Interesting. Okay. That definitely matched the description of the white Fiat Uno seen at the scene of the incident. Okay. So, um, a couple that, like, had identified him, they said that he was the agitated man they saw driving the car. Mm -hmm. So, like, a a couple that, like, saw the Fiat, I guess, identified him. Um, and he refused, like, interview requests. And from there, his own father said that that night, just hours after the crash, he wakes up his brother, who's a mechanic, and he's like, bro, we gotta spray paint this car fucking red. And they did. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, tests were done, obviously, and they concluded that, like, it could have possibly been involved in the accident. But then the French police ruled this out entirely because he was, quote, at work the night of, like, the night in question. He was at work. But, uh, but it's uncovered later on that he left work early that night and totally (gasps) could have been at the scene of the crash, like, at the time the crash happened. And multiple witnesses, like, more than just that couple, multiple people said that a man matching his description was exiting the tunnel seconds after the crash in the Fiat. But that's kind of all we get on it. Like, there's not anything. I mean. To me, that sounds like the guy. (laughs) Pure speculation, but it seems the most likely of what I've heard today. And I didn't really get into a lot of this research because I was already in the weeds with this. But it said, and I'm sure your mom was already in the weeds with it. But I had seen, like, one article that said maybe the French uh, police told him not to tell the British government that he was involved. Or to, like, not speak to the British government. So I'm not sure what happened with that. But y'all, you have fun with that little rabbit hole. If you guys want to check that out. Jeez. But he is claiming that he, like, wasn't. that. It, I guess maybe he oh, was involved, he but he was told not to say anything. And it doesn't make it better, hmm. but whatever. Hmm. So now we're back to the white flash. Oh, God. Yeah, so an alternate explanation is that there was this big white flash at the end of the tunnel, and it blinded Paul Henry, or Henry Paul, and he crashed the car, which is what Richard Tomlinson, that former MI6 guy, he claimed was going to happen to that other president, dude. Um, So, of course, this is investigated. Now, there were three eyewitnesses that said they saw a bright flash of light right before the crash. One of these guys was um, very, like, specific that, like, he saw it, but then his statement changes three times, and they're like, well, that's not very, that's not very yeah. helpful. Mm. Um, and a lot of them, like, said that he was kind of, I don't know, just an unreliable narrator, narrator so everybody was like, yeah, that's, your evidence is wrong. You didn't yeah. see that. Um, he had claimed that, like, he saw the flash behind him in his rearview mirror. Like he was driving out of the mm-hmm. tunnel before the crash happened. And so he saw the flash in the mirrors of his car. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, you know, and I guess there's like a bend whenever you come out of the tunnel. So he's like seeing this and also yeah. trying to drive around his bend. And then his own former wife was like, no, that's not what happened. 
it was just too much. And the cops were like, no. She said, you lie. So stop. Um, uh, from there, though, they were also able to uncover, like, two more witnesses. And they made very little, like, reference to there being a flash of light. Like, this was just two more yeah. witnesses in general of the accident during the Paget like, investigation. And, of course, they asked them, like, did yeah. you see light? Because they were in where they were at as an eyewitness, they would have seen it. For sure, yeah. 100% if it was there, they would have seen it. And um, there was, they, like, made little reference to it. They were like, nah, that didn't happen. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and in, like, a crash reconstruction, basically, if that had happened, the paparazzi were literally driving behind them. Like, mm-hmm. if that had happened, it would have blinded the white Fiat driver, the car that was driving the right yeah. Fiat. It would have blinded the paparazzi. Everybody would have crashed. Like, yeah. That wouldn't have happened. <laughs> um, mm. And it said that in... Oh, and sorry, I got a little sidetracked. The crash reconstruction showed that, like, the events started before they even entered the tunnel. So whatever was happening in the car, mm. like, was already in motion before they even went into the tunnel. And then I think maybe the Fiat yeah. came through, clipped them, and that was that. Yeah. Unfor- like, as awful as that sounds. Um, so Operation Paget was like, no, there was never a flash. Now, this is the part that I hate the most, and I'm going to say it again. I think I said it last week or the week. No, Circleville letters. Wear your goddamn seatbelts. Agree. Wear, wear your motherfucking seatbelt. I'm not here to victim blame. I am definitely not victim blaming Princess Diana. However, the ambulance people wear your that showed up. Yeah, the ambulance people said that maybe had she been wearing her seatbelt, they liked to think that they could have saved her. Oh. It makes that much of a difference. Wear your seatbelt. Yeah. Yes. So what's weird about nobody wearing a seatbelt is that um, Diana's sister said that Diana wore her seatbelt religiously. Like, always had her seatbelt on always so it's very odd that on the night she died she didn't have it on and so a lot of people were like either the seatbelts failed or like them not being used was part of some sinister like plot of sabotage or whatever like something fishy's going on the fact that nobody had a seatbelt on none of them did nobody had a seatbelt on oh that that is weird it's not weird to me that they didn't have them on have you ever ridden in a limo I guess that's true. Or, like, seeing anybody, like, in a movie or whatever riding a limo. Nobody's putting yeah, a seatbelt okay. on. And it makes sense to me that Henry wasn't wearing one, the driver, because yeah, he was hammered. Yeah, that guy. Allegedly yeah, that, that hammered. That is true. Okay. So it makes sense to me. And if she's kind of on a date with this guy, they just left the Ritz, there's probably shit. You can't tell me that there's not alcohol in the back of that, like, limo. Like, I'm not, I'm not wearing my seatbelt either. I'm not expecting my fucking limo to crash, because I'm not expecting my limo driver to be three times the legal limit, and a white Fiat to clip me in a tunnel. I'm the yeah, princess of Wales, for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it is strange to me that, like, she always wore one and just, like, if that is true. She didn't wear one um, tonight. Now, people do make, um, at, like, people do talk in absolutes sometimes. Right. You know, so she always wore one could mean, like, she wore one three quarters of the time. Right. You know. I don't know. I mean, it makes sense to me that they're not wearing one that doesn't feel so 
crazy to me. It doesn't feel out of the realm of possibility. And you know what? Maybe they were drinking before they left. Like, you don't know. And then I get in a car, you got a little buzz. You're about to get a little more buzz. You with this guy you kind of like, but maybe not like. We don't really know at the moment. And then you have a couple drinks. You're not putting your seatbelt on. I don't know. Yeah. Or even just like, you know, like, I think it's like getting in a car and like, I don't know. I think like there could have, yeah, there could have definitely been like distractions you know, you're mid-conversation, maybe you're not thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It's just the part that, like, breaks my heart is, like, even CNN did, like, an analysis, like, an in-depth crash analysis in September of that year, and they concluded that her injuries probably would have been very minor if she had been wearing a seatbelt. That makes me really sad. I know. Because I'm like, she could have been here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. And she should be here. And I yeah, go back to saying absolutely. if Charles had just married fucking Camilla in the first place, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah. She'd be living her best life as lady. Uh, minding her own business. She'd have married another rich, wealthy man. And maybe would have mm. been a fashion icon. <laughs> Probably. Um. So, it was also found in this Operation Paget that all the seatbelts were in good working order, except for the one in the right rear, which is where she was sitting. Oh. But the French investigators, they were like, nah, we tested that in October, you know, of 1998, and the seatbelt was definitely, like, fixed, or, like, was working condition at the time that we tested it after the crash, and it was working. Mm -hmm. So, it must have been damaged, like, in the meantime, maybe? Okay. So, there's differing reports there, and that's odd to me. Because if it yeah, was that broken, that makes sense that she wasn't wearing it. She went to put it on and was like, this doesn't work. Yeah, that's true. was like, I can vibe until we get wherever we're going. Yeah, because you don't... I mean, like, I, I my front passenger seat didn't have a seatbelt for a little bit. I had to go get it fixed um, when I first bought my, my little Kia Soul, so... Right. You know? And if you and Arthur had had to run to the store or whatever... You don't think about right, it. Right, you just jump in the car. So, I don't know. There's no, I mean, I, all I'm going to say about all of that is wear your seatbelt, please. Yes, please. I know some people think it's silly or they're uncomfortable. If you think it's uncomfortable, get those little thingies that, like, go on your neck to, like, not make it rub. Whatever you need to do, wear your seatbelt. Yeah. It's very important. And for any of you people, which, for any of you people that buy the little clicker thingy that clicks in there so your thing doesn't ding anymore but your seatbelt's not actually clicked, just click your fucking seatbelts so the thing Stop doesn't it. ding. What are we doing? Just wear a seatbelt. Wear a seatbelt. That's my PSA for today. Yeah. So, um, now we're going to get into the timeline of, like, that night. I'm almost, like, I'm getting towards the end here. Sorry, I know we've been here no, for a good, long dude. time. Um, we've also had to take several breaks. That's fair. Breaks because of a screeching bean. <laughs> um, Screaming bean! <laughs> so, the... Emergency services were called at 1226 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And she didn't make it to the hospital until 206 a.m. That's an hour and a half. Ooh. <laughs> it's a long time to not get somebody to the hospital. I don't want that. I don't either. For anyone. For anyone, but also especially for Princess Diana. Get her to the hospital. What are we doing? <laughs> okay. One more time. So, according to the French system of emergency care, the patient, quote, needs to be stabilized at the fully equipped ambulance before they can okay. be taken to, like, a hospital to treat their injuries, no matter how far away the hospital is. However, that's okay, still that a really long time. <laughs> that makes 
more sense, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an EMT. I don't understand how any of that stuff works. So if you say that I need to be stabilized before I can be moved, well, but you got me. All right, I'm listening to you. I can't stabilize myself, so yeah. do what you need to do, my guy. <laughs> like, um, But people still are like, that's still a really long time, so let's discuss. It is still a long time. So the period of time between the crash and the arrival of the hospital is going to take the following things into account. The time it was taken for the emergency services to arrive, the time that was taken by the fire department to, um, like get her out of the car and then the actual mm-hmm. journey to the hospital. Okay. So emergency officials arrive on the scene at 1230. They called at 1226, okay. four minutes. Pretty mm-hmm. solid response time. If you ask me. Yeah. I agree. But I'm also kind of like, d- did anybody say it was Princess Diana's limo? Probably. I'll just say you could have got there a little faster. <laughs> Four minutes is pretty No, I want you there right now. <laughs> um, Immediately. From there, the fire department, they show up at 1232. Again, very quick. Um, the specialist of anesthetics and intensive care treatment and the doctor in charge of like the ambulance, he shows up at 1240, which I'm like, that's a little late for my taste. But if he was asleep and had to get up, yeah. that's very fast. Very quick. Yes. yes. Um, she was removed from the car by like 1 a.m. And okay. from there she goes into cardiac arrest. Okay. Um, they get her heart beating again at 118. And that's when okay. she's put in the ambulance. So, okay. I guess it does make sense that they need it, but I'm like 18 minutes without her heart beating. Uh, you yeah, can't that's go. That's a long time to go without oxygen, like blood pumping to your yeah. brain. I just, it's a long time. Um, yeah. From there, the ambulance departed from the crash at 141, which I guess maybe she needed to be stabilized again. Once in there, yeah. I'm not hundred percent sure. And then doesn't arrive at the hospital until 206. Taking 26 minutes to get to the hospital. <laughs> and from my understanding, Europe is very small, so it shouldn't take that long to get fucking anywhere. I mean, I I guess maybe, like, if paparazzi was there, traffic? No. But also, it's an ambulance? I've got more explanation. Okay. So, lay it on me, girl. This 26-minute stop includes, um, this 26-minute journey, it included a stop at a rail terminal. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. You guys can Google it. It starts with a G. Go ahead. All right. Um, and this stop at this rail terminal was ordered by uh, Dr. Martino or Marchino, however you say it, uh, because her blood pressure was dropping and it needed to be dealt with like right then. Okay. And basically he was saying that like the way the ambulance was driving, like the speeding up and the slowing down to go around cars and that sort of thing was like causing her blood pressure to fluctuate significantly. Oh no. And yeah. because it's like the stopping and the starting and the stopping and the starting. And so he was like, look, like we just have to go slow. Like, or like at a steady pace, not necessarily slow. Cause like this is the princess of Wales. Yeah. So like, let's get to the fucking hospital. But like yeah. we need to keep a steady pace or her blood pressure is going to fluctuate so much. It's not going to matter. And yeah. so, um, from there, they pass a hospital to go to a different hospital. <laughs> and everybody's like, why did you pass the first one? There's a reason that first hospital was not equipped to handle any of the trauma that like Princess Diana had seen. Anybody in the car had seen. That's valid. Taking her there, totally pointless. 
Yeah, that would have just wasted more. And time. like doctor, um, the doctor that ordered them to stop or whatever, he was like, for sure, I know a guy that's even on like duty right now at the hospital that can specifically treat like her head injuries. Like I'm taking her to this hospital. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, valid. It from what it sounds like, he was just trying to like make the right call right in a really difficult situation oh for sure could i wouldn't want to be the doctor that's like making life-saving calls for princess diana no not i not me yes i'm glad that's somebody else's job Mm -hmm. okay this is a long app i'm so sorry it, some episode just going to be long. <laughs> so um, we're back to Muhammad, and he's saying that Diana's body was deliberately embalmed, like, very shortly after her death to ensure that, like, all of the pregnancy tests came back negative. And that's not really how embalming works. I mean, it is how embalming works, but, like, if she was pregnant, the evidence would have been in her uterus. Yeah. And there wasn't any physical evidence, like, in her w- uterus or ovaries to say, like, she... Yeah was pregnant yeah she was pregnant so i don't think she was pregnant <laughs> i really feel like she was not um but there's more explanation even to like why she was embalmed so quickly so operation Paget found that o- august 31st was like a very very hot day in paris and her body had been stored um in an empty room that was across from the emergency room from where she'd been treated Mm-hmm. I guess because the actual, like, mortuary was on the other side of the hospital and it was, like, a far distance away. And I guess they just didn't want to transport her there. It didn't make any sense to me why the transportation didn't happen. But I kind of get it. Uh, okay, explain. It's the Princess of Wales. Yeah. You don't want to just cart her through the hospital. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, people are, people are sick. Yeah. Like, truth be told, like... For sure. People are sick. So I can understand wanting to keep her body as, like, isolated from as many people as possible. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, But in doing that, like, she wasn't in an actual mortuary where, like, bodies should be kept. So they had, like, dry ice and air conditioning units that were in the room, but, like, it only kept it so cool. And when a body gets too hot, it starts to decompose. Like, that's just a fact of life. I hate to say it. I think it's gross. No, yep. That's very valid. Part of it. And they start to smell and things. And you just, you don't want the Princess of Wales. All of the gases start to, and you want to preserve her for the funeral. Yes, like you're not, uh, I understand. So the decision was made, um, like, to embalm her. And that decision also comes in part from, like, Diana's sisters and Prince Charles were coming to view the body. The president of France wanted to come and view her body. People were coming to see her that afternoon. And she could not yeah. look, like, I understand them wanting her to look a certain way in death. Yes. Like, that, they wanted to protect her dignity and, like, her status and that sort of thing. And, like, even if it's done for the wrong reasons, like, I don't know, they embalmed yeah. her very quickly. So they could make her look the way that she should look. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the only issue here is that, like, it's a little fuzzy on, like, there has to be paperwork, I guess, in France that's filed before, like, an embalming can take place. And that paperwork wasn't, mm-hmm. it was filed, but it wasn't filed until after she was embalmed. So everybody's kind of like, eh, that's a little sus. But there's no way for the hospital staff to know, like, whether or not she was pregnant. So them embalming her to, like, hide the fact that she was pregnant. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um. Plus, they tested the blood from pre-embalming. Yeah. Um, 
And there's more theories. They're all really debunked. I've got another one here, but I just, it's debunked. So I'm just going to move on from it. Um, if anybody wants to look it up, it's the special air for the special air service. Um, Danny Nightingale, you can look into him as like a theory. I just, it ends up not being true. I think it was just another thing yeah. saying that like this SAS people had done it and they didn't. So mm -hmm. well, if you're interested in that, go check it out. Anyways. Um, from there, though, there are, like, tons of conspiracies. People are very much trying to capitalize off of that. Uh, we're, I guess yeah. you could say we're part of the problem. Here I am making a podcast a week after the Queen's death. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, oh, God. We suck. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's more there, obviously, that you guys yeah. can go and research. But that's the bulk of it. And the Operation Paget, they reported to have gone through 175 theories of what happened that night and like mm -hmm. a lot of them were very profound and none of them were true it was genuinely yeah. just an accident yeah, it seems like it was now a hit and run do i think we need to go after this uh lee von the, yeah guy? no that guy we name? need to look more into i think he might have had a part in it and i think that if you committed a felony you should go to prison you killed three people. Yeah, if you kill three people, you deserve to be held accountable for them. Yeah. So I think we need to look more into this Especially guy. Especially if it was a hit and run, you coward. And then you painted your whole car red. That's not suspicious at all. Coward. Mm -hmm. It does sound like it's that guy. Yeah, it does sound like it's that guy. Allegedly, I, th I think it's yeah. that guy. It is of my opinion. I think that man maybe had a part in it. Allegedly, he did it. And, like, if it was genuinely an accident, like, you just clipped, like, I feel like the charges for manslaughter versus, like, murder are different. They also have vastly different, like, legal structures. Right. In Europe. And, honestly, I mean, more than likely, he probably, I, I don't know anything about the French justice system. Um, but it would probably be a lighter sentence than he would receive here. Yeah. And for manslaughter, even here, I mean, I know people still get sentenced, crazy sentences and stuff, but I feel like even here, manslaughter is not, it's not the same. It's not held in the same. No. Because it's an accident. I could pull out today and not see somebody coming and commit manslaughter. You know what I mean? And not be intending to yeah. kill anybody. Yeah. But I still think that I, if I was in that situation, should be held responsible for having killed someone. Yes. You operate a, you know, yeah, couple ton vehicle. Mm -hmm. You're responsible. You're taking on the responsibility for operating and driving safely. Even if it is a small Fiat. Mm. Like, I still think that you should be like held it. accountable. Yes. Yes. But I think it can be forgiven, if that makes sense. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, you know, you... You gotta own up to that. Right. You know, like... I mean, I, I believe in grace, but also... Like, you have to be willing to... Say when you've made... I don't want to say a mistake, because, you know... Even accidentally killing three people is a little more than a mistake to right. me. But you've got to be able to, like, say, like, yeah, I, I did that. Right. It was not intentional, but it did happen. Mm -hmm. Take responsibility, even if it wasn't yep. accident. I don't care. Well, that is uh, all I've got for you today, though. Oof. Yeah, my mind was supremely changed. 
Yeah. And none of it felt like, yeah. oh, this feels like a cover up and that's why there's no like it genuinely just felt like debunked. Like Yeah. So And yeah, that uh that brings us to the end of um Princess Diana. May she rest. And May Queen Elizabeth. May she rest. Was she the second? Yes. Yeah. May she rest as well. Um Yeah, for but, sure. And like I said, I really I think I don't I don't think that it was them. I think it was just a horrible accident. Yeah. We need to find that white fiat, though. I'm coming we for need his ass. Dude. I'm fucking. It's go time. Literally. That's the sound. Um, That's the sound of my fist hitting my hand. Go time. Soon this will be a visual medium and you'll be <laughs> able to see all of this. Um, cut to me having a constant fight with YouTube. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I l- would like to say that I will win in the end. Um, win or die trying. D- listen, if this is what <laughs> takes me out, what a way to go. <laughs> Do you think I could get a check cut for that? Um, YouTube caused the maybe. demise of my podcast host. Yeah. I think I could get a check cut for that. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, that brings us to the end. Um, thanks for joining yeah. us on this two-week wild ride. Uh, we didn't know <laughs> it was going to become a two-week wild ride, but it did. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. And um, PSA for today, wear your fucking seatbelts. Liter- literally. Literally. And um, harness um, all of your teen angst, wear your seatbelt. That's the message. And when she says harness, she means, like, use your powers. Like, it harness the telekinesis. Listen, all of you, all of you angsty, if there are any angsty teenage girls listening to us, all right, hone that in, Mm -hmm. unlock the secrets of telekinesis, and then let us know. Yeah, because I'm going to feel gypped for sure. I can get angsty. We can get I was an angsty angsty. teen. I can can level up the angst. (laughs) Where was my telekinesis? I could have been stacking chairs. Cut to us Mm. finding out that we really have telekinesis. Bro. Bro. Listen, but yeah, listen, once, once I unlock my teen angst and get telekinesis, it is over for you bitches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that brings us again for the second time to the end. Um, Mm -hmm. what are our socials, my friend? (laughs) Um, yeah, so we're collecting socials now. Uh, we are at your mom's a hoax on most of the things, Mm -hmm. um, on TikTok, we are YMAH pod. Yes. Is it just pod? I think so. I should know. I created it. I can look. Um, we are on TikTok. We have currently one video. We're working on getting others up. And again, we're working on creating a visual medium. Um, and stay tuned for our YouTube. If you would like to email us, it is yourmomsahoaxpod at gmail.com. Please mm-hmm. email us um, your thoughts, your personal stories, um, what you want to hear next. We'll add it to our Rolodex. Um, we'll contact we our momager. That would be kind of cool. On the um, but yeah, please reach out to us. Interact with us. We want to interact with you guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like and subscribe. Um, rate and review. Rate and review. That's what I was going for, but I like to think it was like and subscribe. But yeah, rate and <laughs> review. We really need it. It helps um, yeah. with a lot, and we want to hear your feedback for sure. So please, 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 please. Mm-hmm. But we love you. And we, yeah. Bye. Bye.